Hello, everyone. This is Sir's Movies, the official podcast of SirWaka.com. I'm your host, Sterling Woods. Today, I'm joined by Evan Todd McCoy. Sam Miller. This week, we'll be discussing what we've been watching, followed by a full review. Uh, this week's movie is How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, directed by Dan Dubois. You can find more episodes on Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and pretty much any other podcast app. If you'd like to donate to the show to help offset the cost of seeing a new movie each week, you can do so on sirworker.com slash sirsmovies. If you'd like to contact us, send us an email to sirsmovies at gmail.com or join the Sirs Movies Facebook group. All right, before we get started, um, it's been a busy week for a lot of the, a lot of the hosts here, two out of three anyway. Uh, first of all, let's say congratulations to Sam. You got married last week. Welcome back. Congratulations to you. Thank you very much. And congratulations to you on the new addition to your family. Indeed. As of yesterday, I had a, a young little boy. So it's been a busy week. Evan hasn't done anything but sit at home, you know, watch TV. So congratulations to you for that as well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've been, I've been enjoying my leisure time for both of you. I Indeed. am relaxing for three. Indeed. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Keep up the good work. <laughs> good job. Indeed. All right. Well, I guess we'll get started with uh, what we have been watching. Um, so we'll go ahead and start us off. Evan, what have you been watching? So, uh, yeah, first one we'll talk about, I'll actually talk about the, the quickest ones first. So the first two things were TV shows, sort of. So the first one would be the Battle Angel anime. So it's actually called Gun M. Um, I didn't know that before I tracked it down and watched it finally. But it's, uh, it's the anime version that was made from the manga, and those eventually became the Alita Battle Angel movie that we watched last week. So I, I watched the anime after we had talked about not ever seeing it or the manga. Um, manga? Manga? And uh, it was all right. Like, like, it wasn't amazing. It's basically two TV episodes made out of the manga, and it's kind of, it's short, it's quick. It was even more streamlined than the movie, which I didn't expect. But it's all like what surprised me about it was everything in the movie, every plot point almost is in that anime. So what they did was they basically took about an hour's worth of material and managed to make a two hour movie out of it by adding a few things here and there and, and kind of just zooming in on a few scenes. So we thought that the some of the scenes in the movie were a little bit streamlined, a little too quick and a little too, um, you know, they weren't they weren't stuck with enough. Uh, the anime is even worse for that. But the action in it is super cool, and you can see some of the design choices that ended up influencing the movie. Yeah, I um, researched it, and uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm one of the types that you know, if a movie is based on a book, I want to go uh, listen to the audiobook or something like that. But because this is a, ma- a manga, manga, and because like it's already a, a movie format, it just I didn't really want to go. I think they do have an audiobook, but it's kind of an adapt- adaptation of the the manga, and I was just you know, it's not really my cup of tea, so I wasn't really interested. But um, glad you checked it out and you said so. Would you say it's worth watching, or if, if people saw the original Alita, kind of just stick to that? Yeah, you know, the, I think the movie is the best version. Uh, if it's not the manga itself, I, I haven't checked the manga out yet. I'm I'm working on getting a hold of that because um, I'm very interested. 
but uh, so that would probably be the, the definitive version still. And as far as I know, uh, unlike a lot of other big series like Akira or, or Ghost in the Shell, there's not like a lot of anime made out of Battle Angel. There's just this, this two-episode kind of special OVA thing, uh, which is really unusual. Uh, usually they, they, they'll make like a series and there'll be a movie and it'll be kind of like the series but different. And there's a lot of like convoluted continuity stuff that happens when manga gets adapted into anime. At any rate, though, it's, it's, it's definitely not exactly like a movie. And it's not exactly like just an episode of a TV show or a complete TV show either. It's only worth watching if you're very interested in the world and you really want to see where it came from is what I would say. It isn't exactly like reading the book that a movie was based on. It's kind of almost like... I guess it would be kind of like listening to the audiobook of a book that a movie is based on, maybe. Interesting. Sam, did you um, ever check out Alita? I haven't yet. I'm due to uh, watch it on Sunday. Yeah, no, okay, yeah. Uh, well, people are interested, they can go check that out. Uh, that is the uh, Alita. I'm sorry, what's the name of it, actually? So it's it's called Gun M, uh, or sometimes called Battle Angel Alita. Gotcha, okay, we'll check that out. All right, check that out if you're interested. All right, what else have you been watching, Evan? Uh, the other the other short thing, I, I expected that to be a short thing, but uh, it was weird, it's Weird City. So the first two episodes of Weird City are available on YouTube. It's part of the YouTube premium. Like, they're trying to get into making their own content and TV shows. I haven't checked out much of it because I will not pay YouTube uh, for premium. But the first two episodes are free for Weird City. And it's a show that's uh, co-created by Jordan Peele and uh, Chris Sanders, I think the name is. And, uh, or Charlie Sanders, I think, actually. And it's a, it's a cyberpunk anthology series about but it's it's comedy so it takes the the ideas of technology that we have now and drives them to an absurd point the first episode has like ed o'neill and uh, dylan o'brien and it's about like uh basically people are matched up with somebody um but these two guys get accidentally matched up together and there's like 30 40 years difference of age between them but they somehow make it work so it's kind of like black mirror but funny. It's about 20 minutes an episode or so, and you can you can catch the first two on YouTube without paying a, a cent, and I really recommend checking it out. Uh, I am I am considering paying for a premium membership just long enough to watch the rest of it. That's how good it is. And it's, it's very funny, very clever. The second episode is Michael Sarah and Rosario Dawson, and it's kind of weird and interesting, but it's not quite as good as the first one. So just, just a warning there. So I got some big names to come do that one. Interesting. Oh, yeah. The, the trailer for it, if you check it out, uh, you can see what kind of cast they got for this. And every episode is a different story, like Black Mirror. It's just shorter and a little bit more like... I, I kind of feel like they made it faster, so the second episode doesn't feel like it comes together as well as the first one does. Like, the first one, I'm laughing and I'm right with it, right? I get exactly what they're trying to lampoon and talk about. And the second episode was a little bit more like, what is this even about? But that could be part of its charm, that it's, it's called Weird City for a reason, right? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, what else have you been watching, Evan? So, uh, some movies. First one I'll talk about is Necessary Death of Charlie Countryman, which is a movie we talked about last week, and we talked about how I hadn't seen it, and I had kind of this convoluted story for why I'd never actually watched it, even though I was interested in it. I finally caught it. I finally sat down and watched it. All right, here we go. What did you Yeah, so I thought it was okay. I I thought it was solid. I thought it was mostly pretty good. Um... I could see what you were talking about with uh, the performances. You know, given the cast that, that, that is in it, though, like, I expected to see a little bit more of, like, Vincent D'Onofrio, Aubrey Plaza, uh, but they're barely in the movie. They're just bit parts that they probably did as a favor to whoever made the film. Like, sometimes that happens. You know, you can get a, you can get a more famous person either before they're famous to show up in your movie for a minute, or you can get a friend to kind of pop on for a bit and, like, it's all good, right? So those roles kind of felt like that to me. I thought Shia LaBeouf was awesome. I love Evan Rachel Wood. Westworld is one of my favorite shows. 
So she's great. That was great. Um, I guess the only thing I didn't like about it was I didn't think the magical realism stuff really went anywhere. Yeah. So I, I didn't think it was necessary, and, and it felt like it didn't come together or do anything in the movie. So it was kind of just like, this is a super romantic, unrealistic story. And it was almost like signaling that. And I, I thought it was kind of, it did that on its own. It didn't need that. That's like my, my one big criticism of it. Otherwise, I thought it was fine. So I didn't even view it that way. Um, what do you I, mean? Like I the, viewed the... it as him having a mental breakdown, pretty much. Oh, and, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because they, A, it's pretty blatant that he is in a pretty emotional state every time he sees the ghosts or what have you and then in the middle of the movie she kind of points out to him that this is basically your fake make-believe version of something that would happen you right. you know you get off the plane you have some romantic story with some uh russian girl or whatever it have you and she's perfect for you and you think this is a movie blah 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 so in my in my viewing of it it's it is surreal because it's may not be you know a real thing. This may just be him, right. You know, like losing stuff. Yeah. So that no, I like that take. I like that take a lot. Have you seen this movie, Sam? You know, I feel like I have seen it, but for the life of me, I can't remember it. So it's maybe th- I it's haven't. It's the one where I don't want to. I don't want to like uh, uh, like summarize the story again because we did that last week. But I'll quickly yeah. say it's the one where Shia LaBeouf's mom dies and he goes to Bucharest and he has this adventure uh, with a cellist and her gangster ex husband. And there's like Matt Mitchelson, Mitchelson is in yeah. it, yeah, and like Evan Rachel Wood, uh, Till Schrieger is in it. Um, Tarantino fans should know who that is. Uh, you know, like there's there's like a pretty good cast of, of of actors playing these characters, and like the performances are really good. And it feels sort of like a one of those that sort of subgenre of movies about young men kind of finding themselves in a foreign land. Like I'd say The Beach is kind of like that too. Um, mm-hmm. But I like Sterling's take where it where it might be about him kind of losing his shit. Um, so uh, w- one thing I want to say about this movie too um, is I, I, I encourage, uh, since you've seen it, Sterling, and you like it a lot, check out a movie called Jack White. That's Chris Abbott. And it's almost like a serious, gritty take on the same sort of idea. A guy's mom is dying or dead, and then he like loses it and kind of like you know, goes down this kind of like rabbit hole of his own like masculinity and his own fantasies. And it's a lot grittier and more realistic than Charlie Countryman. Uh, but it's just as good of a movie. And Chris Abbott is about as good of an actor, I would say, as Shia LaBeouf. So you might enjoy that one quite a bit. Yeah. It's not as romantic, though. I'll warn you that it's a lot, a lot more like it's a lot less sentimental. OK. Um, so the next movies that I watched uh, in no particular order, The Sisters Brothers. The Western with Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, John C. Riley, and Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I, and Riz Ahmed. Yeah, I, I saw the, the trailers for that. I just had zero interest in watching it. I figured kind of I knew what it would be more or less. And I, I thought that too. Yeah. But go ahead and tell me what I thought. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I, I, I don't know if this is what you thought, but I thought it was going to be kind of a comedy, kind of lighthearted. No, I like, didn't kind think of that a, at all. No, yeah, okay. That's what I thought it was going to be from the trailer. It's not. And it made me cry. <laughs> so it really got under my skin. Um, it's it's a very very good movie. Um, it's 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 just really about brothers and brotherhood and what that is what that is. It's about family. It's about like going out there in the world and trying to to deal with the trauma of your childhood in a in a outward way. Um, so it has a lot in common with some some other movies that I, I think deal with sort of the like. I don't know, like I guess the downside of like the macho ideal, and I think the Sisters Brothers kind of does that with 
the Western tropes. Like these two guys are like outlaws and they kill people and they're whatever, but they're actually kind of like just like they're doing all this stuff and they're and they're kind of messed up. So it's really about that. It's what how messed yeah. up they are. Oh, in my head, um, kind of speaking about Shia LaBeouf, um, I pictured it being pretty much Lawless. Um, you know, his mm. movie from, I think, 2012. I've seen that. Yeah, yep. when basically the brothers and um, that was, I think, in the 20s or something like that when, you know, they're brothers and, you know, they do bad things, but family yep. relations and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of pretty much what I pictured it, a serious movie kind of about that that has serious but emotional stuff just a Western because I know John C. Riley does kind of serious roles. I pictured that pretty much what it was, so... I feel like I didn't. I knew what it was gonna be. Uh, you you should it check be, it out. It, okay, it's it's kind of like that. If, did you like Lawless? I had um, mixed feelings about. Well, that's. I said I thought it was fine. I thought it was worth seeing, but not worth going out of my way to see. Right. I, I would say the Sisters Brothers is a better movie. It's certainly more consistent. Um, it doesn't have any really weird flourishes. Like I thought, for instance, that uh, guy. Uh, what's his name? Um, Pierce. Guy Pierce. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, I thought his character wasn't really, like, it was really over the top. It felt like it belonged to a different movie. So there was some uneven bits in Lawless, I thought. But, like, Sisters Brothers is more consistent. Um, it also, it has, like, it doesn't conform to a three-act structure. So it doesn't, like, it, it, like, it feels like it's going to end and it doesn't. And it's, like, you know, it kind of has, like, five acts or maybe more. So it's kind of episodic in a way, um, which is unusual for a movie. It feels very much like an indie movie. Like, it's experimental in some ways. Um, and there's some stuff that you think, like, you'd never see coming that happens uh, in terms of, like, characters' fates, essentially. And, like, it's really surprising in that way. And it goes to a, a different place tonally than you think it's going to. So it was a pretty complex movie, and the ending definitely got under my skin and made me cry. I, I, I'm kind of a sucker for stories about brothers, though, so... The last movie uh, that I'll talk about is a, the most controversial movie that I've probably talked about on this podcast, not in terms of quality, but in terms of like just how it makes people feel. And this is kind of a thing that Lars von Trier does. So I watched The House That Jack Built, mm. um, which is a movie about a serial killer and uh, kind of a story that he's telling about time. Like he claims are random incidents where he's like killed people. It's always women, though, and they're not that random, it turns out, but uh, it's it's kind of a very literary movie. Like, like there's this whole thing with Dante's Inferno that if you don't know Dante's Inferno, the, the, a lot of the movie isn't going to make sense. So it's typically, it's like the typical Lars von Trier, sort of antagonistic to its audience, deals with cruelty unflinchingly, feels like a movie that might be endorsing a very nihilistic, very toxic, very evil kind of ethos or, or morality, but actually is about that morality. So there's this line between endorsement and depiction that uh, Lars von Trier likes to trot up and down in a kind of weird way that nobody else really does, where it's hard to tell sometimes whether his movies are actually saying the things that he's talking about are good. <laughs> so people have, have accused Lars von Trier of like lots of things, like lots of things. Being problematic is like the least of them. They've accused <laughs> him of being misogynistic, yeah. a Nazi, uh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and I... The list of his movies do, you know, there are some adjectives that come to mind. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. polarizing. Yeah, they're he's polarizing. not a boring filmmaker, put it like that. Mm -hmm. And for my money, House the Jack Built is a better film than Nymphomaniac, parts one and two. 
Uh, probably, probably I liked it better than Melancholia. But my favorite of his recent movies that have been he's been making since I've been paying attention uh, would be Antichrist, which is a very strange movie. But House of Jack built is actually pretty good. And uh, it, but it helps if you know Dante's Inferno when you go into it. And I kind of feel like he, as a filmmaker, does not care if you follow him down his rabbit holes or not. And that's sort of why he's so polarizing. I thought the movie was very good, but I wouldn't say it was enjoyable to watch. It's too bleak, too explicitly violent in ways that are very problematic. And so there's lots of stuff in it that like it should come with a like basically with a real trigger warning, not. Uh, people making fun of, of sensitive people by saying trigger warning kind of thing, but it should come with one, like a content warning. I mean, it does because it's got a rating, right? But it, it is really uh, extreme. I feel like if you're going to watch a Lars von Trier film, you kind of know that's what you're getting into. Though. Yeah, he's he's definitely doesn't shy away from those sorts of uh, in-your-face, over-the-top, like real, probably true-to-life how things like that would happen sort right. of doesn't try and tone them down for the audience. Well, he's willing to... I, what I think is interesting about him is, and that what confuses people about him as a filmmaker is that he's willing to engage with cruelty. He's willing to be cruel in a scene. Like in a movie that, that has, say, like a rape scene or a, a murder or like a, a, even a really gruesome accidental death... Most filmmakers will sort of Hollywoodize it a little bit. They'll, they'll sort of just make it a little less impactful for the audience so it's still palatable in some way. Um, he doesn't do that. He strips away all of that stuff and, and makes it really cruel and bleak and explicit and real, um, even if it's not really real because he likes to play with fantasy and flourishes of like uh, surrealism and, uh, and what I would call magical realism. Um, he does a lot of that stuff too. House of the Jack Built has, has a chunk of that towards the end without spoiling it exactly there's definitely he goes to a trippy place with it we'll just say that um have you seen them have you seen this movie Sam? sounds like you're a fan i haven't watched this one no but i've mm. watched pretty much every other film that he's put out just because i just i enjoy his films what they are because he doesn't really apologize for what he does he very much knows that he's problematic and he knows that his content is going to be polarizing like he said but he just doesn't care at all he's like this is my work you can take it or you can leave it i don't really care either way i'm still going to make the movie and i'm not going to apologize for it i think that's why i like his work because uh, yeah i agree with you and i like him because he's complicated and he asks everybody to step up and be complicated too and like embrace complexity and 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 come to his sort of elevating to his level or closer to it than than trying to drag him down to like the level of like you know uh if you're gonna if you're gonna show misogynistic behavior then you are a misogynist you know yeah i guess that's it for having this week yeah that's um, that's me indeed so sam uh what, what about you i know you just got married so you probably didn't have time for much but uh, have you seen anything this past week uh yeah so i haven't really had a lot of time with carting in-laws around well in-laws my husband <laughs> my parents Lara, um and just basically doing touristy stuff but uh i managed to catch abducted in plain sight this week uh, oh. just because it's been popping up all over social media and my friend uh my best friend from the uk texted me and she was like have you watched this yet because man is this crazy and it, she yeah she uh, understated it, I think. Um, like Sterling <laughs> okay, said last week. Now I have week, to watch it. You're kind of like, this is not a greatly, it's not a well put together documentary, but man, do you have to watch it? Like, yeah. So this the, is the Shia LaBeouf and Abducted in Plain Sight podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring my take next week. <laughs> yeah, you are literally just like, if if I had popcorn, I would have been sat on my couch with my mouth hanging open and popcorn just falling out of my face because. It's just you're that you're literally just sat there thinking, 
how? Like, how do you think this is okay? Like, how has this man walked into your life and said, I need to sleep with your little girl because my therapist told me so? How did you then go, okay, yeah, sure, just uh, just her bedroom's just down there, second one on the right, yeah? Uh, help yourself. I just, I just, I don't get it at all. Honestly, this is like? a... Um... It's it's an SNL skit, you know. Had this yeah. not been documented, had you had you not been able to prove that this was some, some stuff that happened in real life, this is something over the top that SNL would make up, and you chuckle at, but you that you think it was too over the top <laughs> to be real. So, yeah, especially like you said with the bit with the the dad in the car, and they're talking about his sexual frustrations. I was sat there thinking, this can't be real. Like, yeah. how has he just agreed <laughs> to this? How has he not immediately been like, get out of my car and never speak to me again? Like. I just, I don't get the thinking, but like you said, yeah, it was less a documentary about like how weird this guy was and more about how the family kind of got suckered in by him. But uh, yeah. I'm interested to see whether I'm going to think like that there's some, there's some weird stuff that's not being dealt with in the family. Like, um, I'm, I'm, I suspect that I'm going to watch this and I'm going to view it like, like, oh, this, these guys, these, these people have, have like repressed, undealt with sexual hangups that this guy just kind of came along and exploited, you know? It was less about him convincing the guy to, like, give him a handy and more about him wanting a handy from a guy maybe all along or having, yeah. like, a fluid sexuality that he didn't realize that he had. Because if we go by our Kinsey, right, we all kind of have a more fluid sexuality than we're, when we're generally willing to admit. So I'm wondering yeah. if there's a little bit of that where this guy was able to exploit that. Well, I mean, um, I think the... I don't, I don't know about that aspect of it but the, de the documentary definitely shows that they did have some sexual hang-ups i mean the whole right, reason yeah. that they dropped the um they wrote a letter to the fbi basically dropping the charges was because he said hey if you don't um drop the charges i'm going to tell people that you did this and they were like right. well i don't want the community knowing i gave this guy a hand job so i'm just going to let the guy that you know molested my daughter off you know so yeah, yeah See, it, I, I, definitely you got to have some deep you know sexual repression um mm -hmm. you know yeah more morality issues going on to even think that's a possibility but yeah. it's yeah. i think it's interesting because like that's another question too where i'm interested in like watching the movie now that i've heard you guys talk about it uh and seeing what i trying to like focus on it and read it through that that question of like um what kind of what, what has to happen for you to be willing to throw your children's safety under the bus so that you can avoid embarrassment yeah. you know because that sounds like a big a big uh uh uh, fulcrum around which this movie and its reception is kind of spinning, you know? Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's worth watching. So maybe watch it this week, Evan, and, and next week you can tell us what you thought of it. But yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm planning on it. I'm going to have to get at it. Now that you've both watched it, I have to. Indeed. All right. That's Abducted <laughs> yeah. in Plain Sight on Netflix that we've yeah. two out of three have seen. So we'll probably follow <laughs> up again on that next week. Uh, what, else, what else have you watched now? Um, so my uh, my dad is a, a huge Queen fan, so uh, we went to see Bohemian Rhapsody this week, uh, mm. even though it came out, like, ages ago. It's literally come out on, like, yeah, Blu-ray DVD it's, now. Yeah, it's on DVD and stories here now. Yeah, so we went to see that this week, and uh, I just loved it. I, I can't even put into words really? how much I loved it, yeah. That is, I, I've heard terrible things. I didn't go see it because I've heard terrible things about this movie, But so I'm surprised to hear that you loved it. Go ahead, Gush, you know, let us hear, you know, the perspective of somebody that loved it. I just, I just, I love, I love Queen as well. So I love the music and I thought it, it told like the backstory of the band really well. And although it was kind of toned down from what Freddie Mercury was like in real life, they've obviously, they can't do some of the things that he, he did to the band during like their inception and their growing years and stuff. But 
I just I was absorbed for the entire film. There was not it. I, there was not one moment in that film that I wasn't paying attention to it. I just was completely into it. And the, the music was done really well. The the way that they got um, oh, I've forgotten his name now. Uh, Rami Malek. R- Rami Malek to sound like uh, Freddie Mercury when he's when he's singing. Like the 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 engineering that went into that as well because I'm, I'm going to talk a bit about the sound here but but it's not Freddie's voice but it sounds a lot like him and they've done that by mixing Rami Malek's vocals with some of Freddie Mercury and with an impressionist from YouTube and they've kind of layered them together to get this kind of like mashed up oddly natural sounding uh, vocal from Rami Malek for the, for the singing scenes and it You'd think something like that would completely take you out of the moment, but it really didn't. And he played a fantastic part. If he wins an Oscar for this role, I would not be surprised. Yeah, actually, here he's in the running. Like, like I said, from everyone I hear, the movie was not good. It's had its issues. I know they talked about him having that like mouthpiece thing in, and you know. So I just I was never interested in seeing. I mean, I, unlike you, I don't have the Queen background uh, honestly the bohemian rhapsody the song i i couldn't pick it out of a lineup i know the very beginning because the video has been you know put through um social media not social media but uh pop culture so many times like i know the the, the image uh, the visuals of the yeah. video but i could i have no idea what the song sounds like i don't know the lyrics and there are people that can quote that thing verbatim you know so i i couldn't you know queen queen wasn't a part of my you know uh, up, upbringing, I, 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 you know, Queen means nothing to me, so I wasn't really interested in that aspect. And the fact that I heard all the negative reviews, I just, you know, I wasn't interested at all. But I don't know the fact that you love it. I'm actually, you know, at least check it out just to see what it is. And like I, I said, think I it's got to be. Yeah. It, you kind of got to watch it just because of its 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 context. So like, you know, you can watch it and enjoy it. But like for me, I I, I got to almost. I'm gonna watch it, but I almost want to boycott it because of Brian Singer. Um, yeah. Even though I love Remy Malik because of uh, Mr. Robot. Uh, that show is so good and he's so good. So I'm, I'm yeah. happy for him, you know, but I, I've seen one thing that I saw that was interesting about its quality. So I don't like biopics in general and I particularly don't like music biopics. So I have like a disposition that already like leads me to avoid movies like this and, and not generally not like them anyway, because they're yeah. usually pretty formulaic, but I do like Queen. And I, I, you know, I grew up with Queen just like you did. And like um, my mom was a big Queen fan. I knew Freddie Mercury's whole life story when I was growing up. And I probably owe some of my mom's way of telling that story and her tolerance and stuff to, to the way I, I came to look at uh, gay men. You know, like when I was growing up, they, I didn't consider them to be um, something like you mock or like avoid or whatever. Like it was something that was like, oh, some people are gay, whatever, you know? Yeah. Freddie Mercury's gay, uh, or something, right? So like there's a certain amount of awareness of that when I was growing up that I can I can kind of trace right back to Freddie Mercury. Um, and just speculation that my mom and her friends would make about him and stuff, right? So like, because they grew up with him in a certain sense too. But like one, one clip that I saw was like the scene where they're all sitting around a table with Aiden, uh, Aiden, the guy from Game of Thrones, and he's in the movie, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, Aiden Gillen is his name. Uh, Littlefinger. So they're sitting with him, and there's there's a massive amount of cuts. There's something like two dozen cuts in less than three minutes of, of screen time, which from an editing perspective, uh, editing perspective, that's really weak sauce. And I guess some people were saying that the reason why that is is that all the band members would have stipulated how much screen time they would have in the movie, essentially, through their actors that played them. And that's speculation, I think. But there's a certain certain issue that that raises with making biopics about people that are still alive, especially when yeah. they're involved with the making of the movie. And there's been a few announced lately, like uh, 
Hulk Hogan is getting a biopic where he's executive producing. So there's a certain amount of which like people are getting now uh, this ability to um, curate th- what their what their legacy is going to be in Holly in a Hollywood kind of like con- condoned washed like sort of like it's it's really important if the movie uh, waters anything down. Right. If it, if it does water, like tone down anything, then it's like the, 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 the legacy of Queen and legacy of Freddie Mercury gets curated by the yeah. still living members of the band. And there's just something weird about that, something creepy about that to me. That's just something yeah. that's my two cents. I haven't seen the movie yet. Maybe I'll have seen it by next week. But yeah, I mean, it was very much it, the film is very much about Freddie and, and his yeah. life and his involvement with the band and how he essentially is the reason that Queen became such a huge thing because he was just so into the music and so creative and and just wanting to push the boundaries of everything that he did. He was a very flamboyant character, more so in real life than they'll show in in the film. Uh, right. But uh, but yeah, the the actual band members uh, probably came off a lot nicer than they may have been in real life, simply for that reason that they are still alive and are able to edit their past. Right like they want to um but in terms of the film in general i i i just loved it i don't there wasn't anything in the editing that took me out of it so that really fat that really fat fast paced cutting <laughs> in that scene i think played more into uh the pacing of the scene of the way that they're debating and going on uh, it's got yeah. more to do with the story than it than what people are making it out to be that it's a debate about who gets the most screen time. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, but uh, I, d- I can't say that I noticed it at all. Well, I'm glad to hear that because, like, I think maybe like that—that's the danger of pulling a clip out of context and using it to say whatever you want to say. Like, yeah. if you're if you're saying that the scene is really in context, a fast-paced debate, so they're cutting between all these people who are involved in debate. Well, then there's your reason for doing the scene that way, which I yeah. think is like, like that's that's the thing that somebody somebody's agenda when they're or their point of view they're trying to support. Um, they're not going to give you the full context necessarily. So it's good to hear you say that. It definitely makes me more interested in seeing the movie. Yeah, I definitely recommend watching it. Just, just without the, I suppose the the tinted view of what people have been saying on on social media. Because uh, again, that whole thing came around when the film came out about how uh, Rami Malek was refusing to say that uh, Freddie Mercury was gay. But that whole thing was blown out of proportion for me because Freddie Mercury never actually admitted it. He never said it. it that wasn't a part of his life. He, everyone knew, but he, he never admitted it to himself, I don't think. I don't think he was willing to say that to himself. So I think I always that thought kind he of annoyed me. I thought like like the, that he just didn't use like labels like he was not into the label of being gay or like what being what what just identifying as a gay man in that period would mean. I kind of yeah. thought he was avoiding that and trying to be like kind of more kind of like kind of like uh, David Bowie in a way where David Bowie like refused to really be be like pigeonholed in any yeah. way, right? I kind of felt like that's like, but I don't really know like, uh, but I, I always thought that was kind of the vibe, right? Like that it wasn't like. Gay might not be a big enough word, actually, to encompass Freddie Mercury. You know what I mean? Like, like that kind of might might not have been f- fair to use, but we kind of use it now just because it's easy to to parse um, for us with our current way of using terminology. And who knows? Yeah. In twenty years, there might be a better term for like whatever you know. But it's it get, you get into a point yeah. where labeling po- people posthumously, like when they're dead and they can't speak for themselves, is kind of shitty yeah. anyway, right? 
Yeah, definitely. I'm kind of hoping that in 20 years' time we won't need labels and people can just go back to being Freddie Mercury. You just, you are who you are. Let's just accept that and let's not put labels on everything. That's kind of the way I'm hoping the world's going to go. So, but that's a, a lot of fighting. A lot of fighting before we yeah. get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a whole different uh, topic for another podcast, I think. Um, so moving on from Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, the only other thing I started watching this week was the the Ted Bundy tapes, just because oh. I find serial killers fascinating, and especially Ted Bundy, because he was such a charismatic person to be able to get as far as he did. Um, so I haven't finished that yet, so I can't comment too much. But so far, uh, very uh, interesting. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that one. It's Me one too. of those things where I just haven't had time to sit down and watch it, but... And especially with that and the um, what's the what's the movie coming out with Zach? Zach oh, uh, oh Wicked. yeah, Zach Efron. Extremely yeah, like wicked yeah. and yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's I I figure I wait till they're both on Netflix and I'll just watch them together. Or something yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Okay. All right. Well, that is it for what you've been watching. Uh, so I guess that goes to me last, but not uh, least. I watched. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I watched uh, Creep, first and foremost. Um, Evan got me thinking about horror movies, so I figured I'd sit down and watch one of these. Um, this has been sitting on my Netflix queue for forever. It's a 2014 movie starring uh, Mark Duplass. We talked about him a few weeks ago. Uh, I actually heard good things about this one, so I wanted to, you know, sit down, check it out. You know, I think it was Tuesday night. Wanted to watch a you know, horror movie in the dark and see what happened. Um, I really didn't like this one. It felt Ooh. very amateur hour to me it felt like a um like a college class movie or something like that where you gotta you know get together with a buddy and make a a film for your for your class project or something like that it really the script was like um i don't know it just seemed i don't know amateur hour uh i don't want to rant too much about it i know you i think you saw this and liked it evan is that right well, yeah, and I, but I mean, like, the Duplass brothers come from, like, the mumblecore tradition, it's called. So, like, there's a certain, like, what you're saying about about it feeling like a kind of like a college student movie, it does feel like that. You're right. You're, you're completely, totally right about that. But it is, it's kind of on purpose. It's like a stylistic choice. They're, they're basically doing, mumblecore is basically, like, them attempting to, like, make movies. Some, some of them are comedies, but some of them are horror movies, too, where they're trying to make movies where it's kind of, like, like it's way stripped down in terms of like the Hollywood cinema feel of it. So it's, it's really a lot of handy cam, a lot of like close tight angles, the way, like, like you're shooting it with a camera that you're holding and the, the audio equipment is like basically a mic taped to your shirt, you know? So essentially cheap, cheap movies made on a college student budget. And the writing is usually to reflect how people kind of talk more than like how dialogue's typically written. So I'm hit or miss with those movies. Some of them I really like, some of them I don't. I thought Creep was really good, though, mostly because I thought it, like, Mark Duplass was very different in the role and was actually really, really creepy. But more, yeah, more from just, you about this. I 100% I disagree. Um, I just, it felt so, I don't know, like I, I could see through it. when I never felt like I was watching, I, I never felt immersed in the movie. I always felt like I was watching some kids do a, you know, a college project. I know I hate to say it again, but it just felt that's, that's all I got watching this. I didn't, I never felt immersed. I always felt I was kind of laughing at it and the, you know, the twists and turns it took. I just, you know, like I said, it felt very cheap, um, you know, and not, not cheap as in it, it didn't cost a whole lot of money to make, but cheap as in, you know, bottom shelf at, you know, 
the <laughs> blockbuster back in the day. Harsh. Some random movie you picked up. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, mean, I hate to, I, I'm a big fan of Mark Duplass. I like all the stuff, he, you know, like a lot of stuff he's done. But this, I don't know, like I said, the only reason well, I saw this. The only reason I saw this is because I, I heard good reviews about how creepy it was, but I never got that vibe. But I understand that that's what he was kind of going for. He was kind of being the creepy, weird guy, but it always felt like this is a character that was written as a creepy, weird guy rather than a creepy, weird guy, if you kind of get the difference. And there's actually a Creep 2 yeah. came out in 2017. I have zero interest in watching that. So I please, feel like it's going to be Please watch same. that one. It's, it's I feel like it's going to be the same movie, but then they're going to throw a twist on it and maybe the... Because the, it's basically the same premise from IMDb, so I assume... Uh, let me tell you, assume, watch uh, it. Let me, let, me, let me just say, so <laughs> All right. the... Basic plot of this one is a um, guy answers a Craigslist ad for he wants to, um, some guy hired him to go out and videotape him for a day for reasons, um, and things go left from there. And I feel like Creep 2 is the camera guy turns it on his head and, you know, things go differently than the first movie, which obviously I feel like, yeah. So maybe that's wrong, but that's all I feel like I'm going to get from the second one and didn't care enough the first one wasn't good at all, so I'm not going to see it, but yeah. All right, all right. I, it is different. Like, they, like when you say they threw a twist, you're right. They threw, they threw a twist at it, but it's actually a few twists. And the character that he's with this time isn't a dude who's, like, perplexed. It's a woman who is very quick to pick up what's going on. And so it becomes a game of cat, or mo- cat and mouse between the two of them. And it, it goes in some really unexpected directions, like really unexpected. And I thought Creep 2 might have been better than well. Creep 1. If if say if that was creep one, I might be interested in creep seeing creep two. But because creep was so bad, I don't I don't care enough about creep. Fair two. fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. At least yeah. you tried. At least you gave it yeah. a chance. Sorry, I know we're hogging the conversation, Sam. Did you check out either one of these on Netflix? Uh, no, I haven't seen uh, Creep. I've read a bit about it, um, so I do know a little bit about the story itself. And I I was actually going to watch it this week. I started like pressing play on it and then decided that it was probably too long for the time of day but uh good decision but, uh, <laughs> but i do I think actually like want to watch it because I, I i could be wrong here um evan you might know but um the, was there actually a script for this film because i i i feel like they actually filmed it like scene by scene i think they just kind of gave people vague directions and said just take it where you will yeah, I'm willing to bet that was the case. Uh, they do mumblecore like and and adjacent kind of stuff does do that. Like they they'll do things like they'll write you a character like a, a like three sentences and then you just create dialogue, you improvise it. So it's kind of like comedy improvis- improvisation where you're allowed to ad lib a bunch of co- of a bunch of jokes and they kind of keep the one that works the best. But it's more like entire scenes of dialogue are done in a really like a very like actor's studio kind of way where like because these these guys are all like like the Duplass brothers and some of the people they work with they're very they're actors actors like they they really like they're almost like stagey kind of actors I think and they they like to do stuff like that they're they're drama nerds you know um, so they'll they'll do weird things with movies like I don't know if you guys have seen like your next or. Uh, uh, some of those kind of like like some of the other horror movies that th- these guys are all kind of involved with, but there's a little bit of that too uh, in in those kinds of movies. And the Duplass brothers, sh- they have a show. They had a show uh, on HBO for a couple seasons that had a little bit of that as well. But I can't remember what that show was called. 
yeah, I thought your next was overrated as well. But again, I'm just I'm not the horror guy, so maybe yeah. you know that's well. Why. Creep, Creep is a weird choice for a horror movie because it's not particularly scary, and it, it is it does invite you to laugh at the character as much as be scared of him. Like, cause you're you're not sure if he's full of crap like for most of the movie, and like the main like you're with the main guy in it who's like talking to him, and the main guy isn't sure either what to make of him, and he'll like Duplass does this thing where like he's almost more like puckish or more like a trickster. Like he'll he'll run down this like this like branch of like I'm this guy I'm like this and then he'll pull it back and act a completely different way and I, I kind of thought that stuff was sort of fascinating um, you know and I, I love the ending so I don't know I don't, yeah, <laughs> like, 100% you didn't like it though one. yeah you didn't like it indeed okay well that's a uh, creep on Netflix uh, 2014 creep because they're like six different creeps when I googled it but yeah so um, what else you got Next, I have seen True Detective season three. Uh, never All cared enough to go back and watch one and two. Yep, um, ep- the final episode, um, final episode comes out Sunday, so I don't know how it ends. So I'm excited to see that. But I've seen episodes one through, I believe it's seven or eight, whatever it is, up to the last one. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. And um, I'll say, have you been liking it? I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. I'll say. <laughs> Uh, oh, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, a. Um, I like detective stories, well, books, um, and mostly because I, it, the, the story makes me curious to see, you know, who done it or whatever. And that's pretty much where I'm at with this one. I feel like it, it may be a little bit too long. I don't know if I care to, um, kind of, I don't know if the, I don't know if I, what they, what they're doing with it, it is interesting, but I feel like it's very reminiscent of what season one did. And, you know, I guess because season one got all the accolades, of course, that's why they did it. But I think it is a little bit too long. And I um, I don't know. I, I, I want to see how it ends and I'll applaud it, you know, when they wrap it up. And I'll, I'm sure I'll be shocked or what have you. And, oh, that's awesome that they did that. But I don't necessarily know if it is a, you know, master class, great season of television, which um, everybody lauded season one to be. But again, you know, I... I couldn't watch all of season one because it's a little bit too boring for me. So maybe again, I'm just not the, the demographic. Oh, big, for it. Dis- big disagree, yeah. man. That season one is so good. Have you watched any of this, Sam? I've watched season one. Um, that was like hands down one of my favorite TV series is that I'd seen for a long time. It was was season one. I started watching season two and kind of got bored halfway through, so I haven't finished it. So if season three is any uh, is reminiscent of season one, I might actually like it. So I might check it out. Season three is my problem with season three. I haven't watched all of it. I've seen about half of it. It's is is the same thing that Sterling's saying, where it's reminiscent of season one in some of the wrong ways. Like it's like one step forward, two steps back, which I don't love. Like season two is a failure on every level, except for to me. I didn't like it as much as season one, but I'm a big Michael Mann fan, and season one was uh, basically Nick Pazzolato and Carrie uh, Fukunaga doing David Fincher. Like they were yeah. trying to make a Fincher like show. And then in season two, it was a Michael Mann like show. So they dodged, they ditched all the occult stuff and they got into like, um, oh, let's do like a ba- basically like a big vertical slice of all this different criminality and police kind of stuff happening in this city. And like it's LA and it's LA at night, shot in digital. So it felt very Michael Mann ish. And I like that about it because I like Michael Mann stuff. So season two was all right for me. Um, but then they overcorrected with season three and it feels like just a rehash of season one. But the performances are, are on point. Like everybody's on all cylinders in that show. So that's a good reason to keep watching it for me. 
Um, I guess it's probably, would you say that's what carried you through it, Sterling? Yeah, like, agreed. I think the, the acting is, is great. I think, yeah. you know, Mahershala Ali proves why he's, you know, the the next big thing here, or yeah. maybe the big thing now, um, you know, he's with the Oscars yeah. and whatnot. So, yeah, I think the acting is great. I think the story is just enough to make me want to know who done it. But I don't think it's necessarily, as I said, great TV that's well written and worth watching. I think it's more the directing style and the acting is what keeps you here. But like I said, I guess this is why it's a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, anthology type thing to where each season is a separate thing because obviously it's just it's just so you just feel it so much more that this is going to be one season of a thing and we wrap up and there's nothing left to tell. And I guess you didn't necessarily know that at season one. So you didn't, you know, it, I guess it was a little bit more exciting kind of watching it develop. But now that you kind of know what you're doing here and because this season is so reminiscent of season one, I just, I don't know. I like, as I said, I think I'll definitely tune in Sunday to find out how it wraps up. And I think I'll, you know, stash that in my memory drawer and never go back to look at it again. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting you talk about the directing because the, the director of the first three or four episodes is Jeremy Saulnier, and mm. he made, like, Green Room and Blue Ruin and Hold the Dark. He's awesome. His movies are amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, he, but he had a creative split with Nick Pezzolato, I guess, after a while of working together, and he left. And then the same thing happened with Kerry Fukunaga in season one. Him and Nick Pizzolatto ended up not getting along. And I really think it's not the writing that makes the show. Um, season one would not be as good if it wasn't for Kerry Fukunaga's direction. Um, even though Nick Pizzolatto is really good at some of those hard-boiled detective cliches and stuff, and he's doing a little bit of, of interesting things, interrogating some of that stuff, he also falls on his face a lot. Like, he's not a perfect writer. And he's kind of a problematic person in general. He's very, he's kind of sexist and, like, has some opinions that are a little, like, old white man-ish, you know? So I don't always love what, he, what, what he's putting down. Indeed. Okay. Um, well, that's it for um, True Detective Season 3. Looking forward to seeing um, what happens. And I'll probably, you know, follow up next week as to what I thought, if I'm not too busy with this newborn. Um, so last but not least here, I did watch all of Escape at Denimora. Um, that is Showtime's, um, I guess, you know, miniseries, you know, of, um, you know, basically an escape at Denimora prison, uh, prison escape. It's basically documenting what happened. Um, Benicio de Toro, uh, Patricia Arquette, Paul Dano. I love all three of them. Well, not necessarily Patricia Arquette cause I haven't seen her forever, but, uh, de definitely Benicio de Toro and Paul Dano, you know, love seeing what they're doing. So I definitely tuned into this one cause I've heard great things and it was actually directed by Ben Stiller and everybody was, you know, praising how well it was directed, especially because we don't expect something like that from Ben Stiller. So, yeah, tuned in. Uh, I think it got some Emmy noms or won some Emmy, something like that. So, yeah, but, um, lots of rants and raves about this one, so I wanted to tune in and check it out. I don't think it was amazingly directed, but I think because it's Ben Stiller, it gets those extra boost points. And I think, it, I mean, it was well-directed. I think this is solid directing. You know, if this guy does movies or whatever, I think nobody will complain about it, but I don't think there's necessarily those... Uh, special directorial touches that, you know, some of those big-name directors are known for. I think this is more of a, um, I think he's more like a Ron Howard type of director where he's very solid, but you don't necessarily see his um, voice in the movie. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the story is pretty straightforward. I didn't want to read it because it, obviously it's a, a real-life story, so you can Wikipedia what happened, but 
I didn't. I just kind of wanted to watch it and see what happened. It, it invests you in the characters for the the prisoners, and you know you're interested in seeing the escape and see what happens and you know how it's resolved and whatnot. It definitely gives everybody a um, both sides. It makes them likable and shows them hey why they're in prison. You know they're they're not necessarily great guys. Um, and there's a insider that helps them out. Definitely shows both sides of that character as well. So. I don't know. I, I think it was. I appreciated it. I thought it was interesting, but I don't uh, think it was a example of, of what he can do. And that's pretty much kind of how I feel about it. Did either one of you check this out? I want to, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, same. I haven't seen it yet, but I've read a couple of articles about it because the the lady that the story's based off is basically denying everything that happened and says that Ben still has exploited her or something. So mm, that's what I was quite interested in. So I might I might check it out. Yeah, I mean, they it's all documented. She went to jail. So, I mean, I don't know what exactly he could be portraying that she didn't do. But, hey, yeah, that'd be interesting to hear her side of it because they definitely show her in a I mean, at the not to give too much away um, at the beginning, they show her kind of as a uh, easily manipulated kind of character and by the end in more or less the twist of events they show her as a bit of a manipulator herself which is I mean it makes sense if in real life she was that type of person so they want to show it but in the sense of the show it is kind of a odd left turn to just you know episode six. Oh yeah she's this type of person so I don't know like I said I think it the directing was solid but I don't know if it was necessarily needed to be made I think this was just a you know exhibition of, of him putting on what he can do does anything yeah. need to be made though there's the yeah, there's I mean, the question for next yeah, week's contest yeah i guess that's too um, <laughs> that's too philosophical for my blood but yeah okay well that is uh escape at danamora uh, if you're interested check it out if you've seen it let me know what you thought and um, that is it for what we've seen we're gonna go ahead and get into the full review now but before we get there just want to do a bit of housekeeping um if you noticed that last week's episode, there were random points where the word Apple was shouted out instead of another word. I <laughs> uh, thought that was a bit amusing. We're trying to, um, you know, as I said, we're still working on the formula format of the show. Um, so trying to keep it uh, from being explicit, but it obviously did stand out a little. So I don't know, you guys, you're the listeners. You let us know what you think. If you're okay with little, you know, language here and there. Um, let us know if you want it to be completely uh, PG. Let us know as well. I think for now, you know, we're okay with a little bad language. So if you got some kids in the car, watch out. <laughs> so just a heads up about that. Uh, I try word. really hard not to swear. I'm sorry, guys. Indeed. <laughs> and we appreciate it. All right. Uh, another, you know, bit of funness. Um, do want to get a little participation going with you listeners out there. Um, as I said, did have a son this week, and, and everybody in my life knows how much I love Black Panther. A, even when my son was born, I changed out of my jeans into some Black Panther pajamas because that's what I wanted to be wearing the first time I, I welcomed my son into the world. Big fan. but uh, So I actually got a gift uh, when my son was born from a friend of mine, a Black Panther DVD. And I actually own Black Panther digitally as well as um, the, the steel book. So, yeah, big fan. Don't necessarily need it, but I appreciate the gift. And I figured instead of it racking up, you know, dust on my shelf, I would give it away to one of my listeners. 
So we discussed it on the podcast and we thought a fun activity um, because everybody, well, Evan in particular says, I hate animated movies. We'll find out a little bit, you know, a few minutes from now whether I hate all animated movies. But since we did discuss a few animated movies before <laughs> on the podcast, we figured we ask you guys uh, listening in, what is your favorite animated movie and why? want you guys to write in either to um, seriesmovies at gmail.com or join the Facebook group and just make a little post on there. Just, you know, not an essay, just maybe, you know, a few sentences or a paragraph, something like that. Just whatever you feel comfortable with writing in what your favorite animated movie was and why. Uh, we're going to read over all of them and we're going to pick a winner. We'll announce that on next week's podcast and the winner will get a um, just contact us and we will mail you out a DVD of Black Panther. So, yeah, look forward to that. Hopefully we guys get involved and we hear from a few listeners. So I know we got a decent chunk. So all you guys listening, if you guys want the Black Panther, write in and we'll uh, talk about it next week. All right. Well, we'll that's, read the best one. I'll read the best yeah. one in my best reading voice. <laughs> It'll give us a dramatic reading. And yeah. Sterling will tell you why he hated that film in full Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, yes. I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> All right, well, that is it. So up next, a full review of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. This is Berk, son. It was the home of your grandparents and their grandparents before them. But out there, beyond the edge of the world, lies the home of the dragons. And I believe it's your destiny to one day find this hidden world. All right, that was from the trailer for How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, um, newest animated movie by Dean DeBlois. I hope I'm saying that right once again. All right, um, Evan says I am an animated movie hater, um, so I'm going to let him start first by gushing at how much he loves this. You loved it, right, Evan? No, and I'm going to pass it on to Sam, actually, because <laughs> she's the resident. Like the Lego movies for me, that is How to Trade a Dragon for her. So I think Sam should start us off this time. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to probably blow you guys out of the water and say I didn't overly like it that much. Oh, wow. Which what is, is saying a podcast? lot because... Me neither. Like, <laughs> so. like you said, How to Train Your Dragon series for me is is the same for you as the Lego movie. As far as animated movies go, I could watch them any time of day. But with this one, I was kind of waiting for it to do something different. And it didn't happen. And I was kind of sat there waiting for it. And I was like, in a minute, in a minute. No, in a minute. No, in a, oh, and then I got to the end of the movie, and I was like, "Oh, so we're not doing something different this time." Okay, that's fine. Um, yep. I mean, I still enjoyed it, but it was not my favorite How to Train Your Dragon movie. As far as plot goes, it's, it seems like they've had the same plot for every single movie that they've done, and I was want, I was hoping that with it being the hidden world, we'd have more hidden world in it, and there wasn't. So, yep. so I know you guys were hoping that I'd come into this really positive and give you something to like fight back against me with, but I think we're probably all going to agree on this one that it was kind of a little bit boring. 
I think uh, I thought that you would, it would be you and me versus Sterling this this for this episode. But um, no, I, I'm with you on most of what you said, uh, especially the bit where like waiting for it to do something interesting or different. It's it's what I would like to call a rehash quill. It just rehashes the best parts of the first two movies, um, like literally on its face. And it's not just the callbacks and jokes, because of course they're going to do that. It's literally plot points and set pieces. You know, we've already seen everything that's in this movie almost. Um, and they just really, if it's going to be the end of the trilogy and how we're going to send off this like very beloved animated uh, series, yeah. it needed to be stronger, it needed to be bigger, it needed to be bolder, and it needed to uh, really have a better villain more than anything. That's going to, I'll return yeah. to that later, but that's going to be my biggest criticism of the movie, I think, is that the villain is very, very weak. Yeah, no, I agree um, But we, we've been talking, Sterling, did you, is this the weird one? Did you like this movie? Are you going to take us on? Is this going to be, is this the upside down? Yeah, so plot twist, it is you guys against me, because I like this. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. Of course you did. Uh, well, okay, so let me let me add a caveat to that, because the first half of this movie, I I was out. I was like, this is what I expect it to be. I have so many issues with this. I'm not feeling it. And then the end of the movie, where it kind of got going, uh, I, like, I, even I have flaws with that. I can take that second half apart as well. But I, yeah. I think my overall, it's just when I walked out the movie theater, I walked out thinking I had a good time. I put it like that. So yeah, I mean, it's not a bad yeah, movie or anything. I think it was full of flaws, but I think when I'm talking about a kid's movie, this is what I'm talking about. Um, I think kids are going to enjoy it, have a good time, see flying monsters, doing silly things, and they're going to walk out thinking I enjoyed myself. And I think that's what I got out of this. I don't, like I said, I don't, I think this is full of issues and I'm going to, you know, when we get to spoilers and probably before we get to spoilers, I'm going to take it apart for all kind of issues I had. But I think at the end of the day, I think I enjoyed watching this and I walked out, you know, feeling, you know, with a smile on my face or what have you. So like I, said, I think I'm probably more positive on it than both of you, even though I have plenty of issues with it. Well, I think there's something interesting to that because, like, like I think both Sam and I have a certain amount of investment in the series. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm watching this movie in the context of really enjoying the first two, particularly the second one, which I thought did what a sequel should do, which is go back to the first one and broaden everything out, dig deeper into the, like, pathos and the emotional characters, come up with better connections, more relationship stuff, and then also make a bigger splash with, like, the universe and the world, build it out a little bit. And I thought the second movie did all that, and the third movie doesn't do anything with it, so that's the context for me. But if I'm reading you right, you didn't have that necessarily, yeah, so that I'd investment. So the third movie might land pretty much like the first two did for you, which is which is fine. I thought the first movie was okay. I thought people right. gave it more praise than it deserved. I thought the second movie was bad. I didn't really enjoy that at all. <laughs> so this one was a nice, you know, uh, pleasant surprise for me. I, I guess that's kind of how I felt. If I, I guess if I went into this loving the first two, I definitely would get, you know, let down with it. But so I guess that's kind of the difference here, why I enjoyed it probably a little bit more than you two did. Well, one thing that kept it back for me, though, before like I'll, we'll get into this more in spoilers, but like I think the movie is actually uh, symbolically problematic. It's even a little bit racist. And now I thought that was going to be a joke. Like I thought we were going to joke about it's racist because Toothless, you know, his mate is a white dragon. But uh, I thought that was going to be just a fun joke we were going to do. But no, I think it actually the movie is actually a little bit racist. And I'll get into that more uh, in the spoilers. <laughs> But Sam, I'm gonna let you get your two cents because I'm yep. gonna spend about four minutes going in on this one. Okay, <laughs> I got a list. I got a whole list too of of things to complain about. So, yeah, I mean, 
We're, we're hoping that you'll give us some positive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I want you to say why we're wrong, so I can, you know, I can, I can. Be I don't know. Guy. Can you? Because maybe your your list is as big as ours. I, I'm here, kind of like trying to think of like counter arguments to what you guys are saying, and I mean, as far as uh, the racist side of things go, I mean. I'm going to caveat whatever I say in this podcast and that I come from an island that is predominantly white. So my experience of racism is I, I'm probably very ignorant on it and that I don't have that experience uh, in the, the same way that you guys do. And maybe that I, I obviously need to educate myself more on the struggles of people of color and, and how that works in the industry and, and everything like that. And I'm willing to learn. And, and, and obviously you guys will be able to tell me a lot more about it. So when it comes to looking for themes like that in films, it's not something I notice. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously that's something that I, I need to work on. For a movie like this, it's really not like, it's not like I wouldn't notice it or care unless it smacks you over the face with it. Um, and, and it kind of, it doesn't really, it's not extreme or anything, but it's, it's there. And there's, there's a little bit of it in the second movie too, that I waved off. And I'll talk about that uh, a little later. Um, and in this yeah. movie, it kind of becomes a pattern. So, uh, we can talk more about that later, but I, I get what you're saying. And it's really cool that I, I, I think it's cool that you're, you know, giving a kind of like, like, uh, this is my context. This is where I come, I'm coming from on that, those questions, you know? Yeah, and, and just that no, uh, it's, it's not I, something I, I have experience saying. with. So um, so when it comes to discussing it, I, I feel very, I guess, uncomfortable. It's not uh, it's not somewhere I feel comfortable having discussions because it's, uh, I, and I, obviously it's something we do need to discuss because it does make me uncomfortable as a as a white woman. So so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears to, to hear about the struggles and everything. It, it should just be a side piece for this movie. But yeah. Sterling, what do you, what do you think? Well, no, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's actually interesting. This being the, you know, multinational podcast that it is. Um, everybody's <laughs> from somewhere different. Um, I'm the only, uh, American, you know, um, here. Well, you're Sam soon to be American as well. Um, I don't know if you'll, I don't know if you'll claim it, but on paper anyway. Um, but yeah. yeah, so, because I mean, just here race is a lot more, um, I don't know. It's a lot more blatant in your face. Um, it's talked about all the time. We've got a terrible history of racism in this country. Yeah. And and it's, it's always talked about in the news. And Hollywood has a terrible history of racism. So, I mean, that's just something that's more uh, obvious to me. It's something I'll think about more often. And I, you know, I can't you know necessarily fault you, either one of you, from coming from a place where that's, that's not the case. I, I don't expect you to look at it through that lens because this is where I live and this is the life I have. So yeah. obviously I'll look at it a different way than you do. And so far as this movie, um, yeah, it, when I'm, I was really hoping this was going to be a joke, just like you, Evan. Um, looking at the trailers and the posters, seeing um, the Night Fury with the White Night Fury, I was like, okay, so they're going to somehow make this make sense, and it's going to be funny, but it's not going to be the racism I think it is. But I hate to look at a kid's movie and shout about racism, but come, oh my, like, come on, you know? It's just, <laughs> I just... I, this is not a coincidence. This is not an accident. This is not a funny surprise. I 100% believe in my heart somewhere along the lines when they were writing the story, you know, a mock-up for a black version, a black female, um, you know, Night Fury, Toothless, was drawn up. And somewhere on the food chain, somebody says, we can't do that. You know, we I don't want two black Night Furies looking at each other. It's just the optics aren't going to look right. I think we have to make the Night Fury white. And why a Night Fury would be white, 
you know, that doesn't make any sense. I, and there's not even a line in the movie about it. There's not a... Oh, they just, know, yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's not a, you know... Yeah. Uh, we we captured the the rare albino night fury or something like that. There's nothing. It's mm-hmm. just oh, you got a female one. Awesome. So are we? You know, do they expect us to believe that all female night furies are white? But you know, not to get into spoilers, but later on in the movies, uh, later on in the movie, it's proof that that's not the case. So it's just it was a purposeful choice to make the the night fury white and just. Because they didn't want the optics. There's no other explanation for it. I kind of, I mean, I'm probably showing my ignorance here, but when I was viewing it and when I was watching it, the fact that she was white and he was black kind of tied into the love theme of the movie to me in that a a relationship is kind of yin and yang. So they were kind of like a literal representation of yin and yang and that they balance each other out and that's why. But I, I must have missed the bit where... Where there was a where there was a black night fury or something, I don't know. Well, it's a con- it's a context thing. Like it's like there's a history of like of um. Well, you can explain this, Sterling. You explained it to me one time. So well, hold on, I just I, I'm not I'm not even done with my. I got about four minutes <laughs> to go on that. It's just because I mean, right. even in, even in the first movie, where they're talking about how you can't see them, you know, because because they're all black, you can't see them sneak up on you and blah blah blah, you know. So how does that make sense with there being a white one? And so, and then throughout the the movie, when they're first introduced to us, she's literally a, um, uh, I can't, I'm not, not giving too much away in spoilers, but she's literally portrayed as the white seductress that mm-hmm. is played in lots of different, you know, uh, black exploitation, you know, type era films she's literally that character she's quite we're getting i I, I was trying to do this rant pre-spoilers because it's not all pre-spoiler but i'm going to get into it a little bit post-spoilers but just the optics of what this is and the decision that they made it and the fact that they didn't it's they didn't even try to make a, a reasoning for it it's all it's clear that it's done because of the racial um politics of the racial optics you know the every time you turn on the tv i think kind of what to uh, the point you were making sam the it's a little bit i mean it, it it is true but it is a little bit problematic as well because like i said um a lot of tv shows will try to have interracial couples and they'll try to you know have a, a black man and a white woman white woman with a black man and showing how 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 okay that the company is with interracial couples and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, what's wrong with a black man and a black woman? And a lot of times in movies, it'll be a black man and a light-skinned black woman or a white white lady or something. It's very, like um, Jordan Peele's Us got a lot of praise because the two main characters are both black and both dark-skinned, and that's rare. That's something you don't often see. And same thing with uh, Black Panther. It's just it's it's not something you often see. So the fact that um, Hollywood tries often to, uh, I, I think, it's more socially acceptable, quote unquote, to see uh, race mixing than it is to just see a black couple on TV. And I know that's thinking way too. Well, I'm, I'm not gonna say thinking way too deep, but I know that's uh, a heavier layer than what is meant for this animated movie. But the fact that it is what it is, they decided to make a, a white Night Fury, and then even in uh, something, this is from the the trailer as well. How they um, when they first see her, um, they look at each other and like, and um, oh, what's the the main character's name? 
Hiccup. Yeah, Hiccup. He goes, uh, it's a bright fury. And then um, uh, Valka, what's her? Uh, her name's Astrid. Astrid. Oh, goodness. Astrid. Astrid says, uh, light fury. And mm-hmm. she says, and he goes, yeah, that's definitely better. Neither one of them thought to say white fury for the white <laughs> fury, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's, that's not that's not a coincidence. It's And the fact that they point out it so obvious that white rhymes with light and bright, but neither one of them said white because that's not something that's OK to say. And clearly, if we were looking at it, the most obvious thing to be it would say would be white fury because of the white. You know, it's just I don't know. It's just it's so problematic on so many different levels. And like I said, I walked out the first half of the movie. That was a big problem for me. But by the end, I kind of let it go and I just enjoyed the animated movie. And so I'm going to to take a breath and I'm gonna like I said I, I did enjoy it when I walked out of it but that is a huge issue that was very problematic for me so I'm, I'm well, off my I'm off my soapbox and you guys can go for me it's context too like like that's what you're saying like like context the context of like how race is done in Hollywood is sort of where all this stuff is drawn from so there's gonna be people listening to this probably uh, that they're gonna think like well they're dragons they're not even yeah. humans what are you guys talking about well I'm sorry but there's certain coding there's a semiotics happening here there's a symbol a symbolism with with what Sterling's talking about and one of the weirdest things about the movie is how sexualized the, the yeah. light fury it's, is it's bizarrely erotic how she moves these like for a dragon in a kid's movie for a big lizard yeah. fish you know it's very she's very eroticized it's very strange and actually it was really funny when i was watching the movie in terms of theater experiences because there's these guys behind me a whole row of dudes who, who were like either teenagers or like get you know like young adults and they were all like really into that like they were catcalling the dragon they were saying some really inappropriate things i don't know if they were yeah, drunk I mean, or what was going on but they they got it they understood here, you know not, oh not i know yeah it. there's very a, lion like, king style in world <laughs> implied mating scene oh, there is man. there is so there's a lot of weird stuff going on but like here's the thing like that's not even the only example of race issues in this movie it is not a spoiler to describe the villains a little bit so i'll say that um, it's very strange that the all-white Norse-themed Burkeans are in peril from a bunch of people that are coded Slavic in the second movie, but the voice was a black dude. Jimon Hunsu plays a guy named Drago Bloodfist, which is a very Slavic-sounding name, and he's brown and he looks different, and he's got a black dude's voice. He's the bad guy. There's no other character that looks anywhere near like him, and he's the bad guy. Movie three, we've got the the Grimmel, the main white guy who's a bad guy, and he's got kind of a German slash Slavic slash Russian accent. And then his his cronies, the other villains, they're all coded by the armor they're wearing as being East Asian, Chinese, Korean, Mongolian, and they're coming to assault the white world. That there's nothing, it's not intentional, I don't think. Like, they weren't sitting there being like, ooh, we're going to, like, talk about, you know, uh, immigration with this movie. I don't think they were trying to do that necessarily, but it's, 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 not, an, it's not an accident either. There's something, there's something going on there that maybe the filmmakers didn't even realize they were accidentally, because that's usually how this stuff happens. It, it sneaks out of what you're, you, you use tropes in a careless way, and all of a sudden you're, you're using tropes in a way that make you look like you're, you're including dog whistle kind of content that you don't even mean to do. And I'm sure that the, the movie makers didn't mean this, but it's in there. And America Forever is the only person of color on the whole IMDb cast list. I'm sure if I hit the extended cast list, I'd find some names in there somewhere, but every other yeah. one is a white face. So it's just, like I say, it's, it's problematic for that reason. It's problematic for, you know, the black and white reasons. just all of that in there. I don't want to, you know, like I, said, I don't want to go too deep on this. I've said my piece. We've already, <laughs> two or three people have already clicked off the podcast because they don't want to hear it. So I just, I, yeah. 
it's, well, it's there. They know. need to hear it. Those yeah. people are the ones who should be listening. Um, okay, moving on. Yeah. New, what, um, New topic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, pre-spoilers. Any other, anything else you guys want to talk about? Sam, you got any good things? Like any, any things you've liked about the movie that you can talk about? Like even its look? Like, you know, because I got a, I got a little bit of that, but not much. I loved the soundtrack. I mm-hmm. love John Powell's work. His scoring is always fantastic. And, and in this... In these films, he really does a fantastic job. I mean, that's the one that thing I, theme, I eh? genuinely mm. love throughout the entire series of these films is that his his scoring and his his orchestration of the and the way he brings emotion into his his soundtracks just really emphasizes some of those storylines in the films. And I can't get enough of listening to his soundtracks. Even when I'm not watching the film, I have them on my Spotify, so I'm like. I'm listening to them as I go along. And that's the one thing I genuinely love about this and that he's got recurring themes. He's got like a Liet motif with with a, with Toothless and um, Hiccup's relationship. He's got a recurring mm-hmm. theme that he brings in with them too that I love that always makes me tear up when I hear it. Like that's the one thing I genuinely love about these films without with which has genuinely nothing to do with the plot of the film or anything like that. <laughs> but I, I just can't get enough of it. That's the one thing I that's really love. That's fair game though. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. The music is huge. Yeah, I want to talk about like the the flying scenes. The score really makes you you feel it. Uh, mm-hmm. You really feel like you're soaring, and it's beautiful. And I did. I don't know how you guys saw it. Um, I saw it in Dolby, and Dolby, and um, just I used to. I used to want to see IMAX movies, especially stuff like this, because the screen was so huge, and I thought IMAX was the best format to see it in. But seeing it in Dolby Vision. That is honestly the best I've seen it. So if, if you live, you know, near an AMC and you always go to IMAX because it's the bigger screen, I definitely recommend you at least check out the Dolby. It visually, it pops more. It's, it's brighter. Um, the You know, the darkers are dark, the brighters are bright. The colors look better. It, you know, like I said, it pops. The sound is better. Uh, you can definitely, like when something's coming from the left, you feel it more and the seats will vibrate because of the bass. So just Dolby Vision seeing this like that, especially some of the soaring scenes, some of the scenes later in the movie were just dropped dead beautiful. I mean, just yeah. stunning, just visually to look at. This, Like I said, this movie is full of issues. So uh, it's problematic for all those reasons. But, you know, seeing I got a kid, you know, so um, I'm, I might buy this down the line if I get a, you know, a nice big 4K TV or something like that and I get a, um, a movie room in my house. I might buy this just because visually it's so pretty to look at and be, it'd be nice to sit down and rewatch those scenes again. Yep, I agree. I think it's almost photoreal in some parts. There's a few scenes yeah. where they're flying around the the maelstrom, the, mm-hmm. the water, this waterfall thing in the movie, and yeah. uh, they're, 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 the camera is pulled back just far enough that you can kind of just see the dragon, the outline of it, the silhouette, and you can see Hiccup and Astrid on top of the, of the dragon, and it looks photoreal. Like, it uh, looks like yeah. a special effect from, like, a Marvel movie. Like, it looks so good. They're, the stuff they're doing with water now, which yeah. you can also kind of oh, yeah. see in the Frozen 2 trailer, uh, and, and also, like, the first movie that really got water was uh, was uh, the otherwise terrible good dinosaur. That movie has water effects that are just amazing, but the movie itself isn't great. So like this this was just like visually this this movie blew me away. It's a step or two above the last one. The mating scene we were talking about earlier when he's um, on, <laughs> on the beach. I mean, yes. I, it looks like you're looking at a beach. You know. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Just, that was. That's my favorite scene yeah. in the movie, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Well, okay, we'll talk about that as well. But yeah, it, it was very pretty to look at. I thought it was yeah. funny because the, they act like cats, but whatever. Um, it's in the trailer, the whole almost the whole scene, so uh, we could talk more about its context later. Um, 
I, I agree with you guys with the beauty of the movie. I really liked the Power Ranger aren't dragon armor bits. So that's also in the trailer. I'm not spoiling anything, but all the characters have like dragon armor now and they're kind of color coded and they kind of they look like Power Rangers. And I kind of dug that. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, I also thought uh, that the relationships like the core relationships are pretty strong. Um, they, you know, like Hiccup and Astrid, Hiccup and Toothless. That's all pretty good. Um, but everything else, like with the characters kind of gets, you almost can't say something nice about this movie without saying something bad is how I feel. So I will say that like, I was hoping that the other characters would have more to do in this one because they had nothing to do in the second one. And that was one of the criticisms of that movie, but they really don't. They're all just like, it's just, they're, they're all just there for a bit. Every, every side character has like a bit that they do. Some of them are, are pretty poor. We'll get into that in spoilers. Um, and they don't have much else going on. But these are, this is about the end of my, like, positive things for this movie. What you, Sam? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it visually stunning, completely, soundtrack, amazing, plot, poor. <laughs> uh, I don't really have anything that I can say that's pretty positive outside of the soundtrack and that how visually appealing it was. I, there's, I'm trying to think of something nice to say, and I can't. Indeed. Okay, well, I mean, I think at this point we really need to get into spoilers. Uh, before we do, though, I want to go into recommendations. Uh, as I said, I mean, if, if you got a, a five-year-old, you know, if you're uh, as terrible as it sounds, if you're okay to, you know, just turn your brain off and go watch a fun animated kids movie, I would recommend it. Because I think it's incredibly problematic if, if you think about it, you know, deeper than just uh you know the basic script level or whatever and watch the movie for what it is it is definitely problematic that race race issues aside a lot of issues with the movie it is you know poor on a few levels but i mean if you're uh, if you're a kid or you're just taking a kid to see a movie i definitely recommend you know this is a good kids movie to go see they'll have a good time they'll walk out clapping so i, I would recommend it on that level what about you evan I don't really like, I mean, like, you know, I'll recommend it for completion's sake. Like it's, it's worthwhile probably to finish the, the, uh, the movies. But if you're just like a newcomer coming into how to train your dragon for the first time and you're thinking, oh, now it's over, maybe I'll watch all of them. I, I almost can't say really skip this one and watch the other two, but I don't think it comes to a satisfying conclusion. I think that this third movie is pretty disappointing. Um, you might as well just watch the second one twice, honestly. Sam, yeah. you going to recommend it after all or no? Um, <sighs> No. It's I, hard because it's a sequel, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to finish off the trilogy, yeah, watch it, give it a go uh, to see the how far visual effects have come since the first film, mm. for sure. But no, I, I can't say that I'd recommend going to see this as a one-off. Okay. Well, that is our recommendation. So um, from this point forward, we're going to dig a little deeper into it. So spoilers for How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World. Another Night Fury. More like a bright, a light fury. Yeah, yours is better, probably. <laughs> All right, now that we are in spoilers, um, I guess I, I'm just gonna, like I said, my last little bit uh, about the race part. And everybody, I'm sorry if you if you're a racist, feel free to skip ahead sixty seconds. It'll be over quick. Um, the I don't know. She was literally a uh, operative for the bad guy. You know, so the fact that that she, it's not just a, a white woman, quote unquote, with a black man. It's literally she's that femme fatale, um, you know, the, the quintessential, you know, the stereotype, evil, backstabbing white lady from a lot of black, you know, type movies. And well, hold on. Yeah. 
so she she's not an agent. Like basically what happens is Grimmel lets her go because he knows that the mating thing is going to distract Toothless. And then he gives her the poison stuff that controls her mind later on. I, I kind of was confused too. I was like, is, is the Light Fury working for Grimmel? Is she like his dragon? But it, it's not. That, it's a little muddled in the movie, to use your word. Um, but I don't think she's actually... It's, I don't think it's that. Well, I, well, I don't know. She, this is she pedantic. Was bait at the very least. I put yeah, it like you're that. right. You're because, right. You're right. I mean, he he was tracking her. He knew where she was. Yeah, so that's why he set the trap. He was watching her the whole time. So yeah, that's wh- true. Whether she, you know, had his serum and was being controlled, or whether he let her free and just hoped that she would, you know, for whatever reason, fly close to him. What whatever's going on, like I said, the movie didn't make that clear. But either way, she was. Um, being used by the bad guy and that 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 was her role so just the racial element of that and her being the seductress and following him around and all that kind of stuff it was i don't know it just really left a bad taste in my mouth so yeah that was that was my 60 seconds around i just wanted to add that you know i think it's kind of uh it was kind of insinuated in the in the film uh, in the the reason why she was following him around is that Toothless is literally the last Night Fury there is because he's hunted every other one into an extinction. So he's the last male that is available. And she's caught his scent because she he walked past her cage at the start. So from a reproductive point of view, she is going to hunt him down because she's going to want to further her bloodline. So I think it's, it's not very clear, but... But I think that's kind of like where he was coming from because he knew that she was going to hunt Toothless down because... Well, I want to uh, yeah. push back on that because I don't know um, if you guys noticed it, but when they did the, the Hidden World, which even... I, th- I feel like the Hidden World was pretty much the same size as the secret you know, nest from the last movie, but... Yeah, anyway, yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. The, right, yeah. So when they, when they showed the Hidden World, uh, when they showed her on top of the um, you know, little ice rock um, crystal, whatever it is, when they fan, when they the camera quote unquote pan to the crowd, um, but there are, there are white light furies in the crowd. So I don't know if necessarily um, he was he was the last fury. Period. Maybe he was the last black one. But yeah, like I say, if you're if you're about to go see tomorrow the movie tomorrow, and for whatever reason you're listening to the spoiler section when when they when they finally go to the hidden world, look at that scene and write in and let us know if I'm wrong. Um, yeah, so I think it's, I think even, even though like you're right, Sam, like, like on a purely like, like logical level, it does make sense yeah. that she would like pursue him. It's still problematic in a different way because like the, the, the way the narrative works is that it parallels Toothless getting a girlfriend, that whole subplot, which I, which is supposed to like, I didn't expect that to anchor the movie, but it kind of does. Like it, it seems like the whole movie is about that in a way. Um, but it also was supposed to parallel Hiccup and Astrid finally getting their, their relationship figured out, which to me was a really weird choice because for one thing, um, if they're a loving couple that have been kind of together for a while, how does that parallel to two sentient dragons who are desperate because they're the last of their kind. It doesn't really say a good, it doesn't send a good message about like what a relationship is about. Although I can see that the movie is trying to be about that. How do you embetter yourself? Um, or how do you, how do you better your partner and how does your partner better you? I got that from Hiccup and Astrid's story. Um, but the parallel breaks because the, you're right about the, the logistics of the, the light fury and Toothless's whole, whole deal. Um, but yeah, I don't know why in the third movie we're still trying to figure out a will they, won't they with Hiccup and Astrid. It's a really weird place to, to hang their their relationship considering that it's a, it's just like we've watched them be together this whole time. Like why are they 
why are they like why are they cold feeding about getting married and stuff? Like it's just so yeah. weird, you know. But I mean, that's something the weirdest part. Like I want to talk about this in the non spoilers, but it's kind of a spoiler. But like when I was talking about the ca- uh, side characters, their little bits. What is up with everybody wanting to bang Hiccup's mom? Yeah, what, like that, that <laughs> subplot, that story, that that beat goes nowhere, and it's weird. And it, it doesn't, it's not funny. It doesn't serve any purpose whatsoever and it doesn't go anywhere. I just, I thought that was super bizarre. Talk about inserting weird adult stuff into a kid movie. Like that was yeah, like that, That's the way that they were trying to include her in this movie. I because knew. she was such a big deal last movie that they had to somehow show that she was still a part of the clan. Yeah. And, what a crappy way to yeah, do it though, right? I like mean, of all the crappy decisions. That one's fine. <laughs> you know? No, I, I disagree. Yeah. I think that's a big bad move for like, okay, so the only female character that's not in full age is there to be like this trophy that two younger men are fighting over. That's a bad look. Like that's, that's borderline misogynistic. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's a bad look. That's a, that's a weird thing because she was so much older. I was like, um, I forgot the, the young, um, Eretz, Eretz son of Eretz. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. like, are they are they making him the the love interest? It's like because yeah, he was a little like, bit older and she flirted with him just a little bit. So I was like, well, I, I guess since he's older, they can pair them up. I thought I guess it's really weird, but at the end of the movie, she was just messing with both of them, so it, it really went nowhere. So why even include? Yeah, it, you know exactly. It's it's bizarre because it doesn't make her a powerful like it doesn't. They could have done a version of that where she's just kind of like you you boys like get out of here. Like I'm an independent woman, which is kind of what her story is in the second movie. But instead, they don't like they don't use it as a way to like reinforce her character, which would have been like, you know, it would have been okay, but it wouldn't have been strong either because then you're just basically why the character has no development then. So we'd still have a complaint to make about that character, but it wouldn't be as egregious as this is. I feel like the way they handle that stuff is just a bad look, period. Um, And there's lots of that in this movie, lots of weird stuff. They just couldn't seem to, you know, I was like, did they even ask a woman what they thought while they were making and writing this movie? Like, what's her name? Cressida Cowell, the... Is that her name? The, the the writer of the original novels? Yeah. Like, what did what did she have to say about? The, but then again, I hear that the movies are very different from the novels, so I, I might be off on a on a wild goose chase there. Yeah, but in the same yeah. breath, it's like how how could Kate Blanchett and Jonah Hill read this script and think that 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 was worth their time? How did they not turn around to the scriptwriters and be like, "Are you having a laugh, mate?" Like, Especially Kate Blanchett. Like, I, I bet you it's contractual obligation. Like, they probably were contracted to do it. Probably did the like you know they they're not in the movie much, so it could be just like a like a like a, uh, a minimum work kind of thing, a minimum screen time sort of deal. And they just were like, screw it, you know? But it's like, that that, that kind of feel comes across in the movie. It feels like almost nobody cares, you know? Yeah. I feel like, you know, this is a third movie. They're wrapping up the trilogy. Let's just get in here and get this check. It's fine. You know, I, I don't yeah. think they're taking it apart. They were dissecting it and wanted it to be a great movie. I feel like they read the script. Okay, whatever. It's okay. Let's do this and, you know, let's wrap yeah. it up. And I think it's a bummer that they go that direction where, like, that's that's a huge bummer, you know? Because I know you don't like them that much, Sterling, but the, the, these these movies were, like, DreamWorks's first and only good animated franchise that could compete with, like, Pixar, you know, in terms of, like, the cultural impact and, like, how much money they were making and all that stuff. You know, this was, like, a flagship series. So I know you're looking this up right now, Sterling. Yeah, because uh, I DreamWorks is Shrek, DreamWorks is Kung Fu Panda, Madagascar. So I don't know if I agree with that. That's true, but those movies don't compete. I don't think with How to Train Your Dragon in terms of like like Are critical you crazy uh, just critical evaluation. I'm not just talking well, about I like. Mean, okay, yeah, well, you're, t- you're talking about cultural impact. Kung Fu Panda and Shrek did way more. Yeah. Let's let's back this up a little bit. Don't don't forget that I like like my film going circle is and like my film criticism circle is a little bit more like 
what, like, you know, it's more, it's more hung up on whether something is good. Um, so like th- for a long time, the consensus on these movies has been DreamWorks hasn't been able to get uh, a series that has both the success financially and the pop culture impact and like decent, strong themes and, and good storytelling. The way that Pixar does like almost every movie they make is, is got all of those things. Shrek has the, has the pop culture impact and it made all the money in the bank, but those movies were dated the minute they came out and they're kind of shallow, right? Like, you know, like they're not the same kind of thing. Um, neither is Kung Fu Panda, although Kung Fu Panda, for my money, is a better trilogy than How to Train Your Dragon is. You know, we can go on and on about DreamWorks, but I think How to Train Your Dragon was, if not their flagship series, then definitely, and I mean, don't forget, too, the last Shrek movie was years ago. So, like, it's kind of what's left. My point is that it's a bummer to release the last movie in a series. Even Kung Fu Panda 3, which wasn't as good as Kung Fu Panda 2, was not this week. It still expanded on the world. Uh, gave a lot of character depth with the main characters, added a little bit for the side characters, did all the things that a good sequel should do. And this movie just seems to just, I don't know, man, drop the ball, I guess. Yeah, no, I agree completely. It is that I don't understand how how the screenwriters got to the third movie and thought we're going to do dragon catches again i don't understand the logic of the series uh, yeah. and it's, it's just like it's so You've seen that before i'm so bored of it i'm just as soon as it started mentioning dragon catches at the start of the film i almost got up and walked out i was like i don't want to sit through another hour and a half of them fighting people fighting dragons but, yeah. and and and, and and doing the whole relationship thing. I wanted something different, and I was so disappointed because I was so looking forward to seeing it. And the fighting looks cool for, like, a second or two, but then they just, like, they just drop it. Like, they don't... There's not really an action scene in this movie, and Toothless has no big, awesome dragon to fight, so he has no antagonist. Um, and so the, the ending scene where he, like, breaks out of the thing, it's just a recall to the first movie when he breaks out of the, the, the cage thing that... Hiccup's dad puts him in. So there's just a lot of stuff like that where they just don't make anything bigger or cooler or more interesting, you know? Uh, I will I will give, um, you know, a positive, you know, compliment to the movie, um, just like we talked about with Skyscraper, the, the disabilities mm-hmm. here. I oh, think yeah. both yeah. Toothless and uh, Hiccup had really good... Um, you know, storyline so far as that, because Hiccup, you know, was missing at least a portion of his leg. And the, at the beginning, he kind of played fetch with the bottom of his leg. And so they never, you know, showed him being disabled. And, you know, they never showed it being a crutch to him. It's just part of who he is. And, uh, you know, at the end, when he sacrificed that little portion of his leg to save his life, he's like, this leg isn't me. It's just, you know, you know, it, it's it's a tool I use, but I'm I'm still me, you know, without the legs. So I think that was very positive. And same thing with Toothless, to where um, I think that whole um, first half before um, Tooth um, Hiccup gave him the the, the fixed um, thing where he could fly on his own, the back portion of his tail, uh, whatever. I think that really really was a good demonstration of a person with disabilities um, just feeling that, you know, that depression, I guess, um, because they did kind of show him at before he had that love interest, he was okay needing um, Hiccup to get around. But then when he had that love interest, you know, and her flying around and him just kind of being sullen when he couldn't get off the ground, I think that it really showed in, you know, his, you know, face or whatever, just the the sadness, the I'm not equal, I can't do this on my own. And then when they gave him the prosthetic, he, you know, he became whole again and he was joyed and all that kind of stuff. He just 
some disabled people would have a big problem with that though. Like, um, I'm not disabled, of course, and, and I don't, I don't know too many people who are, so I'm speculating here. So, you know, somebody can write us in and let us know what they think about this, because I think you're right for the, for the most part, that it's a very positive perspective, but this is what troubled me about, um, Toothless. I think it's too easy. He just makes like the, the whole thing with Toothless and, and Hiccup is that they needed each other to work together. Um, and that's sort of what brings them together because they're both disabled and they kind of find common ground and they find like they can be whole together. And there's this whole thing. And I know the movie wants to talk about like when it's time to let go of like a relationship that where it's in the other person's best interest, the other entity's best interest. But I don't think they do that well. And we'll talk about the ending later. But for, for one thing, it's really easy how they solve the problem of Toothless not being able to fly. It's just like, oh, he, he wants a girlfriend. He needs to impress his girlfriend. Okay, flap. Like, like now we got five seconds and there's a quick little bit well, no, and hiccup fixes you know, the problem. They, you know? they, did, they did, you know, say that they tried to give him the thing earlier, but he didn't want it. But now he well, That's does. true. So, that's so true. Not, I think there's not like a he bit, built it from scratch. So that's a good point. And there's a bit about that, I think, in the second movie too where, where they try it um so maybe i'm wrong about that but uh yeah. i mean i think well speaking of that i do want to kind of um add that they are showing him to be as you know a, a genius mechanical whatever i can build anything out of anything and i don't think they did a whole lot with that either you right know, well um, they tried though the, the grimmel yeah. the bad guy is supposed to be like a reflection of him he also uses dragons he also uses technology and gadgets but they don't do a good job of that like that would have been so good if they could have made it more personal between them if they could have like kind of zoomed in on their connection the fact that they're very much alike in some ways but like uh grimmel is like the dark version of of hiccup he's like what hiccup could have been but it's just not in the movie like you you just you get it you get the iconography of it you get the like visual of the guy controlling dragons and instead of being friends with dragons he enslaves dragons etc it's there kind of but they just really don't dot the i's and cross the t's with that which is probably what bothered me about grimmel the most is that he's such a wasted opportunity as a villain because to me it's a good idea to make your villain a reflection of the hero the marvel movies have been doing that forever um it's just a, a good idea but they don't execute it super well i don't think he was just not there. I was yeah, like, he just wants to hunt yeah. dragons. Like that's it. Like that's all you got, movie. Yeah. Like, what's the point? And 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 why was he doing this for the for those guys anyway? Like, if he was the badass that he said he was, why didn't he just turn around and be like, uh, no? Yeah, like I, I agree with you, and I, I think like what's what's weird about this movie too is I was thinking about the scene where they where they flash back to Hiccup and his dad, and they totally retcon this whole thing where Hiccup's dad secretly, I guess, wanted to send the dragons back to their own world. I'm working my way up to talking about the ending, but uh, for now, like they do that, and and before that, like everything we know about Hiccup's dad until Hiccup changes his mind is that he hates dragons and wants to kill them all. This whole idea about him wanting to take them to the hidden world is a retcon. If they can do that. Why not give us some flashback personal? They gave him a little bit watered down. He said he wanted to seal the hidden word off. Yeah, you're so, right. But you he, he still seemed to be more like, we don't deserve to, you know what I mean? Like the dragons shouldn't live with us. We can't live together. And what I think is, is kind of messed up with this movie, now I can get into the ending, is that uh, they've, they endorse that, this idea of not being able to live together, that you have to segregate. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's really bizarre to me and, and hollow. And, and, and like, I know the ending, uh, the very ending where Hiccup brings his family to see Hiccup's, uh, to see Toothless's family is supposed to sort of like um, ease that a little bit, but it didn't for me. I thought, 
I thought it was just uh, it was it was really random social commentary. You know, the last movie was we can get along, and then this one was we're not ready to get along. We don't yeah, deserve yeah. it yet as humans. So in so, that case, who yeah. are the dragons supposed to be? Like, are they supposed like is, are the dragons and the Burke people supposed to be like like two competing communities that can't live together and have to be separated? Like, is it an Israel Palestine thing? Like, I've you know what I mean? Like, there's something xenophobic about this movie that I can't quite put my finger on. And I, I would have thought that it was my own filter, like me looking for things, but I've seen actually quite a few reactions, at least the second movie, that kind of are starting to question, what are these movies doing with this stuff? And so I'm starting to think it's a pattern. How'd you feel about the very end, Sam? I didn't get it. <laughs> I, I, I just, I just, I'm still sat here trying to process it, I think, because I only saw this a couple of hours ago. I haven't really sort of like kind of got my mind around what happens i'm kind of like still processing it but yeah i'm with yeah. evan on this i don't really understand like the kind of like social commentary so to say on the on the segregation of dragon and humankind like i mean they spent this whole they spent the whole movie series up to this point being like oh we can live together we can live in harmony we can be friends look dragons yeah. are, are just like us like they we can be friends they're just misunderstood and now it's like uh humans are crap let's just just go back <laughs> yeah. to your hole in the ground it's kind there. of it's kind of yeah it's kind of bleak like it like it ends in this place where it's like humans suck but we'll get better someday yeah and like from a t from like an execution point of view i thought the ending like like hiccups voiceover uh, okay, yeah, the, I had a huge problem with that voiceover. Yeah, I thought it was really especially bad in this movie. It's always kind of bad. Jay Baruchel just wasn't put on this earth to do voiceover, but it's every movie has him uh, narrating the beginning and the end. But in the end, in this one, he goes on forever. He never shuts up, and it just reinforces how trite the ending is. No, no, I mean, that that I didn't necessarily have a problem with. My problem was he was saying some humans don't even believe they exist. Some, pe some oh, yeah, humans right. believe they were fairy tale. He's like 10 years older. His kids are like five and six, okay? This isn't 100, 200 years ago where humans have lost you know, the of proof. course I the mean, logic there, yeah, there, you. <laughs> you know there, there's you know this was cl all the dragons close to you know the hidden world or whatever there's still probably dragons out there if not they're dragon bones this was like 15 you know at tops maybe they waited 10 years to have kids or whatever this is 15 yeah. years later tops okay it's ridiculous because it's almost like they're doing that fantasy movie thing like that King Arthur and Robin Hood did where they try to pretend this is the real world, but this is the before yeah. time, the long, long ago. And these people with the dragons became regular Vikings that eventually went on yeah. to rape and kill their way across Europe. And then the, the, all, the, all the Chinese and Mongolian-coded people go back to their homelands and everybody just forgets about dragons and the like imperial era ships. They're you know, It's all very ridiculous. If you're going to have the dragons anyway, there's no reason for one thing for all the Burke people to be white. That's one thing. You know, there's no reason to have your people of color only be villains or dragons. And then there's there's this whole idea of like sealing the dragons away because humanity's not good enough. You don't need to do that. It just felt like a way of them trying to wrap it up in a nice, yeah. neat way. And it, and it turned the family into like the secret keepers. Like yeah. now there's now there's a family that goes down from generation to generation, and maybe in twenty years they can make that movie. We've kept the secret our whole lives, but dragons exist, and now humans are ready, or whatever you know nonsense they come up with. So I, I thought, yeah, the ending. And, silly, and the dragons so. are literally living in a hole in the ground in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> I mean, people are literally traversing the globe by boat at this point in time. Like, how is no one coming across this hole in the ground and thinking, why is there a massive random waterfall right in the middle of the sea? Like, we should see what's down here. Like, and then also you've named the movie The Hidden World and we get mm -hmm. 10 minutes. 
not even. It's like if it's that, like a quick yeah. yeah, it's a quick montage of them flying into it, which is admittedly pretty cool, although it is a rehash of the secret dragon nest in the in the in the second or first movie. Yeah. So Sterling's right about that. But like then then we get this whole thing where, where Toothless is the king and then that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. And then it's kind of like when I was in there as well and I was I was thinking about the title of the film, The Hidden World, I was literally sat there before the film started thinking, How did I not just watch this one in the second one yeah. like wasn't that called the hidden world and then i couldn't remember what it was called and then when we started watching it and i was like i was like this is the same film like this is literally the same film you know if i if i watch it like I, i'm glad that i didn't watch the second one again right before watching this one i was thinking about doing it and i didn't and I, i'm glad i didn't because if i did i would have hated it like 10 times more i think uh, okay let me let me just pile on on the ending since we're ranting about it so <laughs> the uh, when they do meet up at the end, he sniffs them for a bit before he remembers them. So that leads us to believe he didn't know who he was when the boat pulled up. So why was Toothless there with his wife and his kid? Did they just sit there and just chill? Are they the, the gatekeepers? He brings <laughs> his kid out to protect the land. Yeah, it's that too made convenient. No sense. Yeah, and then on top of that, so that I guess this adds to your point earlier about them um, mixing the Night Furies and the White Furies or whatever. Because now his kids aren't like a, you know, a gray color or whatever. They're Dalmatians. You know, oh, like I know. Black and white spotted. Yes. So I was just, waiting for your... The rules uh, just <laughs> fall apart here, you know. So I'm just... Race stuff aside, now they're spotted. So she is an albino, but they just never mentioned she was an albino. Or and she's not, oh, no, she's not an albino because albino is just lack of melanin. No, so they're like dogs. Regularly. Yeah. They're like, you know, so, like... It's just what what is the rules. The rules, the rules, the rules. Yeah, so, yeah. That stuff yeah, doesn't so. doesn't bother me as much, except for the optic stuff. Like, I mean, yeah. there's a you ever see? Okay, so what it reminded me of was the movie um, Treasure Planet. Did you ever see that? Yeah, yeah. I actually so like yeah, it's it's. I think it's a great movie. But in Treasure Planet, there's this bit where the dog and cat aliens they have kids. And then their kids are, some of them are dogs and some of them are cats. And it's like, it's, it's really, it's the kind of kids movie logic that doesn't bother me, but it's also in that particular case, really hilarious. And I think in, in How to Train Dragon 3, if it wasn't for the, for the weird racial coding and the weird sexualization of, of the Light Fury and, and all that kind of stuff, I don't think it would have been a big deal that they have splotchy skin. Like, um, I don't think that would have really bothered anybody but you. But I think, like, what do you make of it in terms of this idea that it's it's like a there's like some racial coding going on here? Like, well, what is the idea there where they're like, you're not white or black or some mix. You're actually this weird splotchy. It, that's what that that's the race mixing. The we're promoting black people and white people getting together kind of thing. But we don't want to go so far as to have mixed kids. So it's just fun kitty. So we're saying it but not saying. I don't know. It's just it was problematic for me. So I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to go on a rant. We've we've kind of been over this. We've dug it into the ground. You know how I feel about this. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, Evan, um, kind of, what are your final thoughts on the movie? Uh, yeah, I, I called it a rehash quill earlier and, and I think me and Sam have echoed a lot of the same problems where it felt like a movie we had already seen because they just can't stop recycling stuff from the earlier movies and way beyond the point where it makes sense for a sequel. But I think the one thing I didn't mention that is the most damning part of this, like we kind of talked around it, but to me is the low stakes. Everything is too easy in this movie. No one, like nobody has to die for there to be stakes, but it was significant that Toothless's, or sorry, Hiccup's dad died in the first movie or second movie. There's like significant costs to the heroes. Um, and in this movie, giving up the dragons and kind of slapping the whole premise of this trilogy before that point in the face and saying, nope, nope, that doesn't work. That is the only loss that we feel. 
And so the, whole, the rest of the movie up to the last five minutes is so low stakes that it almost feels like, you know, like you're, you're watching somebody play a game on God mode. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sam. What about you? Final thoughts? Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm the same as Evan. Like, I just this whole this film was just a rehash of the second one. There was nothing new about it. The plot was the same, and um, nothing again. Like Evan was saying, there's nothing high stakes. I just completely agree with everything Evan just said, basically. Um, but <laughs> I just, yeah, I just I wanted something completely new. I wanted it to be a massive like let's say goodbye to Toothless, let's, you know, say goodbye to the series, like, this is it, this is the end, let's make, let's go out with a bang, basically, and it just, it fizzled, it, like, it just was a complete misfire. If there was a writer's strike going on, I could kind of, I could kind of see why they would rehash something, but we're not in the middle of a writer's strike, so why is there nothing new about this? Like, yeah, so, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. And me, uh, again, I, I think my biggest issue with the movie is I have to turn off all of my filters to enjoy it. Once everything is turned off, I think it's a fine, it's okay. I recommend kids go watch it. But once I start taking it apart, then I get heated up and a movie shouldn't do that. Um, you know, I think, I don't know if that's a me thing or this movie thing, but the more I take it apart, the bigger the issues I have with it. So I have to kind of turn off all my thoughts and just enjoy it at a, at a kid's level. And at that, at that level, uh, I do think it's a, it's an okay movie to watch, but yeah. All right. Well, I think that is all the thoughts we have on uh, How to Train Your Dragon, The New World. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, you can find more episodes on Spotify, Stitcher, Podcast, and pretty much any other podcast app. What are we doing Again, next week? Uh, yeah, next week we're actually going to do a, uh, a bit of a fun one. Um, no, nobody cares too much about the Oscars so instead of you know doing the usual recap of what was snubbed and what wasn't we kind of want to take a step back and just do an episode on our overall top five favorite of uh, top five most overrated movies and our top five underrated movies so should be uh, some fun conversation next week so tune in for that uh, again next week we are going to announce the winner of our little contest so uh, don't forget to write in to sirsmovies at gmail.com or join the Sirs Movies Facebook group and write a little post uh, about what your favorite animated movie was and why again the winner will receive a copy of Black Panther alright don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Sirs Movies as well and um, I guess that's it. Where can uh, we find more of your work on the internet, Evan? You can find me uh, writing spoiler-free reviews on sirwaka.com. Should have another one up next week, but we are working on what movie that will be. Um, you can also find me at thunderclam.wordpress.com. Uh, Thunder Thunder Thunderclam that's my personal blog. And you can at me, uh, Evan Todd McCoy on Twitter, at Evan Todd McCoy, all one word, lowercase. How about you, Sam? Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me tweeting nothing uh, on on Twitter, <laughs> uh, Sam underscore Jane with a Y. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, uh, posting nonsense mostly, um, at, ju at just base. And uh, I do have a like a, a blog spot as well where I post uh, short stories, basically, which is a uh, insomniac ramblings at blogspot.com. If you're interested at all in my poor writing skills. <laughs> Indeed, I checked it out. And you can find me at Sir Waka on Twitter. Don't forget to check out the website, sirwaka.com, S-I-R-R-W-A-K-A. Thank you for listening, guys, and we will see you next week. Mm -hmm.